Hello everybody, welcome back to Fastgate Rewatch Season 4, Episode 11. I am your host, Carl Hats, and with me is Red Nightmare. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. No, we did that, ep- that was a while ago. Oh, that right, episode. yeah, no. <laughs> that was an nah. episode. <laughs> Not this one, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 so, uh, for some reason, I, my mind keeps going back in time. Yeah, stuck in a loop and just mm. doesn't seem like the right place to be, but here we are. <laughs> we are, yeah, at episode 11 of season 4 which means actually we are officially at the halfway point of Uh, season 4 once we finish this one we're at the halfway point there's 22 that's what I mean this is episode 11 so this is is the end of this episode is the halfway point (laughs) okay fair enough but so yeah that's kind of crazy that we're about halfway through the last season Mm -hmm. we've still got peacekeeper wars once we're done but yeah Home stretch. Yeah, this is like the last the last leg almost after this. And actually, this episode is kind of where things start ramping up. Mm-hmm. We kind of get back into the uh, some of the major threads throughout the seasons. On the subject of wormholes. Yeah, so this episode is called Unrealized Reality. And we start out with previously on Farscape, of course, as happens quite a lot. Mm-hmm. This one goes back a while, though. Because there are some bits from season three. Yes, because the Pathfinders get heavily mentioned. I'm like, yes. Ooh. Yeah, I thought this would make you happy. Like we see Niala and her Pathfinder buddies talking about wormholes, and in fact, it opens with the previously on opens with the shot of Moya being impaled by their ship, and that yep. gets mentioned quite a lot. And of course, we have all the usual stuff about you know where they are right now, John and Aaron, that kind of thing. But yeah, the extra bit of details in there is the the Pathfinder vessel, so mm-hmm. interesting. And so once that happens and we get the, and now on Farscape, we have an establishing shot of space. There's like a maybe a nebula in the background. A few stars, because those are always there. And we sort of pan around, and then we see that we actually see John in his spacesuit. Just floating in space. He's not hooked up to anything. And I'm like, why, John, Why? This is incredibly dangerous. What are you doing? So we see him just sort of floating out there. And we actually cut inside uh, in command. And Aaron is sitting on like the the ledge, sort of like the window ledge of the forward portal, the view screen. And she's reading a book, a little notebook. Yeah, she's like very laboriously getting the words out. It's like, existence. Yeah. And so, and Chiana comes up behind her. It's like, "Hey, how's the English going?" So she's she's learning more English, presumably from John. John's like written down some things for her. Um, I don't want to disparage your language, but trust me, it written down and it pronounced are two very different. Oh things. yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's written it down phonetically. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Chiana asks how the English is going, and Aaron's like, "Oh god, they start small, they grow, they change. I don't know. Twenty six symbols. It should be easy." <laughs> And Chiana quips about how, I mean, they can't even escape their own gravity, so how hard, how, how hard can it be? Yeah, and Aaron actually laughs about that, which is nice. Like, I don't think it's, it's been a while since we've seen Aaron laugh about anything, actually. Mm. I was like, oh, like, I like that cute little scene between Aaron and Chiana, of them being friends. It was kind of cool. And then Chiana says, looking out of the view screen, that John's been out there a long time. Aaron says... Yeah, he seems to like this particular wormhole for some reason. And Janice says, well, he's learned to speak the language of wormholes. And then Aaron's like, wormhole. 
wormhole. Like, clearly actually trying to say it in English. Yeah. They also just say that the emphasis on the hole is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's in- unintentional, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Chiana says, like, hey, look, if you want to get him back, that's not the language you need to learn. Mm-hmm. Ah. You need to learn... French, the language of love. <laughs> well, I think I, the first bit is wrong, but the second bit, like the language of love, is, is I think, the right yeah, idea. Yeah, 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 that's the right idea. And so we see, we go back to John kind of floating out there, close up on his face in the spacesuit, and he gets a comm from Dargo. He's like, John, we're on a secure line. We need to talk. This old woman's been putting drugs in your room. Do you know about this? And it's like, she says they help you forget Aaron. It's like, John then says they look they just they just dull the pain yeah but only if i double the dose darker than it's like drugs are bad looks at the camera though <laughs> sorry no, this is not what he happens kinda, he's he, <laughs> he's definitely not okay with it he's like because no. he says like, how much perspective have you lost because you know that if you take anything naranti gives you you have to half the dose not double it well there's anything this old witch gives you actually is what mm. he says and john says to dog like hey mind your own business this is me, okay? Yeah, it's complicated. And uh, Naranti comes up to Dargo and it's like, you know, I can make you something that will help you remember. And then he just shoves her away. Mm. And then he looks at the camera and says, winners don't take drugs. No, that's, again, not what happened. But <laughs> Winners don't do drugs. Farscape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, part of me wanted that to turn into an infomercial. <laughs> well, it, it kind of is Dargo being the responsible mm-hmm. captain or... A, adult really yeah on this crew like, which I, I like that and also it's not just like he's being he's looking out for john he's concerned about john yeah, obviously as his friend as well because mm. once he once he knows that john is actually in on it he kind of does he softens a little bit it's like what's wrong buddy kind mm-hmm. of and then he says you know john you have to let her go it's more complicated than that isn't it just <laughs> <laughs> just will or won't choose <laughs> Well, we don't really get any of that this episode to uh, kind of skip ahead. But so the next scene is we go to Pilot's Den and we see that Rigel is actually there talking to Pilot. Mm -hmm. He's actually actually asking how Pilot is doing, how Pilot and Moira are doing. And Pilot says that they're doing way better now that the filter has been installed last episode. And it's filtering out the electrostatic discharge and all that stuff Mm -hmm. that they were having trouble with because they're still in uh, tormented space. And... Uh, then Rigel says, well, okay, the next thing you need to do is get over your fear of wormholes. Because I think you might actually be able to figure this out, despite all reason. Right, because that was actually another part of the previously on Farscape, was John mentioning that he'd figured out wormholes. That was mm-hmm. from um, Crichton Kicks. And it's like, I can get you home. And so Rigel, that's why Rigel is saying yeah. now, like, he can get us home. If Moya can get over the, her fear of wormholes, she can take us home, basically. Pilot rightly responds, saying... I don't know. He generally tends to rush into things without knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, he, he also says it's like it's a bit more formal than this, but basically he's like, no offense to John, but <laughs> he, he's been wrong many times. But Rigel is confident. He says like, I'm a dominar. I know how to recognize things before they happen. You were disposed on your planet by your own cousin. <laughs> yeah, I love that from Pilot. And he kind of just looks at him like, 
really. There's <laughs> <laughs> also that it's not just that he uses that as the response. There's also just a little bit of disdain towards Rigel in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like really, you can see things before they happen. You of all people, sh- <laughs> yeah. shut up. Deposed by your own cousins, like okay. And then that Rigel, Rigel shuts up after that. He's like, mm. <laughs> so uh, now we have another scene with. Sokozu and Scorpius. And we're actually in Scorpius's cell quarters. It's not a cell because he's not locked in it because we we established that we can't lock him up. So I guess it's his quarters. And he's fiddling with, there's basically some chemicals and like like a chemistry set on a table. And he's fiddling with one of the uh, coolant rods. And Sokozu walks in. And he's like, none of them seem to take your warnings very seriously. Scorpius responds, that's because they only have anecdotal evidence to what the Scarens want. Compared to you and me. Well, we know that Sokozu, I think it was like she grew up in Scarren space. That's yep. kind of where she's from. And we, we, you know, we've explored Scorpius's backstory quite a lot at this point. Mm-hmm. And so Sokozu then takes over at the chemistry thing, filling with the coolant rod. Because it's red. It's, it's a spent rod. Yeah. And uh, she says, you know, if I'm going to accept your proposal to be allies... What assurances do I have that you will watch my back? And Scorpius basically responds, but beside the fact that it, he'd find it very appealing. Mm. Uh, aside, no, no, I, I know the exact line. It's aside from the pleasantness of the task. Yeah, she'd become the most important person alive to him. Ah, save Crichton, she says. Always save Crichton, because the man needs saving, damn it. The guy just walks into trouble everywhere he goes. This is true. Also, they get, they do get very close mm. in this, you know, and, like, Scorpius is aside from the pleasantness of the task of watching your back. Like, these two are getting pretty close here. Yeah, and then, then she suddenly fixes the rod. It goes from red to blue. Well, Scorpius seems weirdly almost turned on by that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, why? <"Wah>, yeah. <laughs> I guess get a woman who can change the color of your rod. <laughs> you may, it, you may need to see a doctor if that's the case. <laughs> I'm just, but just putting it out. But there. importantly to this scene, she accepts. Yeah, she she's accepted his basic kind of his terms that yes, Crichton would be more important because that's his mission, that's his goal. But she mm-hmm. would also be like second to to that, which is. Yep. A pretty big deal. And we know that Scorpius keeps his allies very close. Like, he, he looks out for them. If it doesn't cost him anything... Yeah, exactly. ...to keep an ally that doesn't earn him anything anymore, then he'll keep them. Keeping an ally that has been spent becomes difficult, he drops him. Well, look at how he treated Braca, actually. He treated Braca pretty well. Oh, yeah, because Braca was always useful. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. If you if you stay useful to Scorpius, he will keep you around. Yeah, he, he'll treat you perfectly fine. And, and even I think even if you've outlived your usefulness, but being nice to you costs him literally nothing, I think he'd still do it, because you never know when they're going to be useful. A few times he's offed people who have outlived their usefulness, but it's mostly because they were being... They weren't cooperating with him yeah. or something like that. So, okay, dialing back a little bit, important thing here, the last couple lines in that scene is, most important, save Crichton. It's like, always save Crichton. Agreed. Cut to Crichton still in space. Yes. Floating out. 
and then he's counting down to the wormhole opening. Mm-hmm. Counting down in Spanish, because apparently that's how he that's does. That's just how it works now, okay? Sure. And then the wormhole opens, he's floating in front of it, and he's like, whoa, look at this one. This one's really cool. And then it starts shifting inside its vortex, and John's like, uh, pilot, can you pick me up? Time to break out the docking web, please. Help, pilot, pilot! Pilot's not answering. Get sucked in, wormhole closes, and Aaron is just like... Oh. <laughs> yeah, Aaron's watching this whole thing and just John just goes shump and then we see him like flying through the inside of the wormhole just in his spacesuit and he's like Ah <laughs> <laughs> All I'm thinking is like doesn't the radiation kill him? That's never been a consistent thing about wormholes. No. Has it? Like no. they never really like made that a, a thing. It no. was like head cannon, it was from artificially induced wormholes that the peacekeepers were testing. Cause... Unstable wormholes, and this is probably a stable one. Exactly, there you go. Boom, head cannoned. <laughs> and then John, as he flies through this, he actually, and this is something we haven't seen in wormholes, he hits a junction. There's like an irregular tunnel that we've seen a few times him going through, and it branches off in different pathways, and there are two in front of him, and yeah, he smacks into the middle. And that's opening cut. That's title cut, which is great. Also, the reason I mentioned, like, the line is, like, always save Crichton, and then he gets sucked down a wormhole, so it's like, yeah, that sounds about right. Scorpio, you're doing a shit job at it. (laughs) Well, I mean, if John would just not hang about unassisted in the middle of space in front of a wormhole... Crichton, please. At least put a cable on the other end. Yeah, like... Just tie yourself off, you idiot. You could have pulled yourself in. Air probably would have snapped. (laughs) Anyway, when we come back from titles... We see that John is in his spacesuit, lying on some sort of frozen ground. It looks like there's ice or snow. And he wakes up, he's like, ah, well. Kansas in the winter, he says. Hmm. It's like, so he's actually on like a very small iceberg, surrounded by dark, like, black water. Mm-hmm. And he's calling out and there's nobody there. Then suddenly there is. And actually he looks down into the water and we see like swirling, yeah. like, wormholes in it as well. He's like, oh, great. Here it comes. Yep, and turns around, and yeah, somebody is there. So it's a tall, pale man with, like, sort of balding, and he's got a very nice suit on, Mm -hmm. and completely black eyes. The right man in the wrong place can make all the difference in the world. Wake up, Mr. The Freeman. Yeah, he's kind of G-Man a little bit. He really reminds me of that. Except he's got, like, pale hair and, like, ble- like white hair as And he's well, bald, so. mostly. He's bo- yeah, he's, like, very balding. It's just some hair around the back of his head, but he's very much that kind of figure. And he looks at John, or John looks at him, rather, and he just, just says one word. Or he turns around, rather, mm-hmm. and he says, time. And John's like, hmm? And he says time again. Yeah, and there's there's so there's a sequence where he just repeats time and John like answers him. It's like time bandits, time. <laughs> well, it it goes time zup, time flies, time bandits, time wounds all heals. <laughs> That's not how it goes, but okay. Time rosemary and time. And he shoots the man. But his pulse blast kind of like freezes in midair. And the man sort of, like, cocks his head a little bit and just walks away and and repeats time. John's like, okay, either stop pointing guns at people or get a bigger gun. And then he puts <laughs> yes. his gun away. Then he says, time is. And John says, uh, it's, 
infinite. It doesn't respond. Relative. And that's what triggers the man. That gets his attention. Yeah, that suddenly he turns around and he starts talking normally. Well, I say normally. He has a bit of that G-Man cadence in his voice. Not as strong as the G-Man, but... And he says, like, you are quite a simple organism to possess the knowledge that you do. Yeah, you just need to get the dummy. Yeah. (laughs) And so, okay, so this is going to be... It's time for some wormhole exposition. Yes! <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. I'll be honest, it's it's not too bad. No. They don't spend the whole episode doing that, but there's quite a lot, because he says, well, first thing he says is, time is meaningless, and yet it is all that exists, which is... I just realized this episode's going to be really hard to talk about, because they talk about wormholes in so many different scenes that I can't keep the order straight anymore. That's fair. I think the order of that doesn't particularly matter. That's true. But so um, he's just said that line. In this first scene, actually, not a whole lot of exposition because what happens is John's like, my name is John. And he's like, yes, I know. And you're not important to our conversation. And John's like, right, of course. So he just says, okay, Einstein. So he's he's nicknamed this guy already. Einstein, time, relativity, makes sense. John's like, okay, why am I here? He's just flat out. He's like, why am I here? What am I doing? Can you answer this question without getting existential on me? Why are we... Am I, are we here? And he's like, you are present to perish. I am present to affect that outcome. And he walks towards him and John's like, nope. And jumps into the water, mm-hmm. which is the, the wormhole nexus thing. And so we have like a flash of some wormhole travel. And he wakes up day one. Episode one. The moment he walks into the into the bridge. Yeah, in his spacesuit, And he's like, oh, wow. Day one. Oh, man. Dargo and Zan are at the controls yeah. and doing what they did and they're under attack by peacekeepers and uh, Dargo turns towards him. A lot of it is like reusing footage from season one. Mm-hmm. This is actually makes it really clear how much Dargo's makeup yeah, has changed. I have that in, <laughs> that in my notes. Holy crap, Dargo's makeup has changed. Because now you see the contrast. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, he was a lot more, very pale and a lot more, I think, slightly simpler makeup as well. Yeah, and like his eyes were far more aggressive green and also very, way more heavier eyebrows and far larger nose. Mm. And so <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm John Crichton. And Dargo picks him up by one hand. And he's like, okay, transmitter microbes. And at that point, of course, he gets translator microbes injected by the DRD. And then Zan says, like, answer him quickly. You know how Luxons can be, which is, that's from the thing. And he says, oh, yeah, believe me, I know. <laughs> because he now has all the fourth knowledge of what happened. And then Dargo throws him down. The peacekeepers keep attacking. Yeah. Demanding starburst from pilot. Yeah. John says, hey, maybe you should rip the cables out of that panel. Yeah. And J- Dargo goes off and actually he does that. Yeah. And John seems to be enjoying this. He's like, wow, day one, this is crazy. And Rigel shows up and Rigel says like, hey, you take care of me now, I will take care of you later. <laughs> or well, the when, other way around, actually. Well, when Rigel shows up, John's like, here's Rigel. <laughs> like, he, he knows what's about to happen. I, I like that John says, no can do, Buckwheat. You can't even take care of yourself. No, you can't take care of a chia pet is what he says <laughs> like you know and then john's remembering and he's like he stands up and he he's doing his lines basically yeah he's like what is the matter with you people tongue points at the back <laughs> of his neck and Wah-pah! and then he wakes up back again on the iceberg and when he wakes up on the iceberg again 
he's not actually wearing his helmet anymore. He's like his spacesuit is undone a little bit, mm-hmm. and he wakes up and he's like, "Wait, where? Where is it?" Einstein says that this atmosphere will sustain you, and he's like, "Well, thanks for the memories." And like, and so now we get a bit more exposition, and Einstein says. Space and time are fused. Coordinate of each is required to locate a specific event. Yeah, okay, relatively. That's 1905. Publish anything else interesting since then? (laughs) Yeah. And Einstein then says, Movement through space at speed becomes movement through time, and wormholes bridge space-time, creating a unique ability to navigate them. And he's like, okay, yeah, wormholes, been there, done that, got it. Yeah, quite a lot for somebody of your realm. Yeah, and you are you are now positioning yourself in front of them prior to their opening. How do you possess this knowledge? And John is having flashes of the ancients. It's like, long story. And then he keeps having the flashes, despite him pra- apparently not thinking about it. And yeah, we see like the ancient Jack giving him the knowledge. We see a bunch of lines from those episodes where all that stuff happened. And then he's like, yeah, flashes. And he's like, hey, get out of my head. Because it seems like Einstein is actually affecting these visions. Mm. And Einstein asks, ancients? Mm. And so now we get another kind of twist to this episode, is that we now get basically interviews. Do you recognize this voice? Yeah. This is your life, John Crichton. Because <laughs> we see a bunch, basically a bunch of people being interviewed in front of like a just a black screen a black Mm -hmm. backdrop there's a few people we recognize we see dk at one point dk we know i think the rest of the people we haven't met yet or we just haven't met before yeah Yeah. and to to refresh your memory dk was john's basically he was his partner uh for the fastgate project the important thing is there's like a priest a football coach an ex-girlfriend but the important thing is that what they all have in common is that they almost idolize John in their description. Yes, the ex-girlfriend says, never met a man who's more in touch with his own feelings. Mm-hmm. There's the teacher saying he was a real hellraiser, but you couldn't help but love him. Then his football coach saying there was, he's a man who'd finish a game with a broken leg. DK says, he rescued me out of nowhere, dropped me in the middle of a dream job. And I love that the girlfriend finishes with... He was also great in the sack. (laughs) And we cut back and we see that John is actually seeing or experiencing these as well. Mm -hmm. And he's smiling a little bit. He's like, ah, nice. (laughs) (laughs) So then Einstein gets, uh, starts talking to John again. Says like, wormholes are the one feature that traverse both our realms. They join but never intersect. An aggressive perforation of one would allow an unacceptable incur... Basically, we don't want your nasty crap in our space... Re- in our, like, extra-dimensional realm, okay? Yeah, apparently they live in a different dimension and they don't want their crap invading it. Yeah, that's basically the gist of what Einstein is saying, but in very, like, needlessly technical language. Yes, which is a thing for Einstein, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I think it does kind of work. It would maybe be a little bit odd... I guess Farscape could pull it off if he was a lot more casual in how Mm. he talked. And another thing we learn is that apparently he's an ancient in a way. Yeah, because John mentioned the ancients as what what gave him the knowledge and says, yes, they are members of my species substantially modified to live in your realm. And so John's like, okay, what are they there for? Here's a catalog report influence. They're narcs. No, but they, yeah, they were there to catalog influence, basically keep keep everybody else out of the other realm, in a way. Yeah, and when they disappeared, again, remember, like, you know, their species was 
dwindling. They were looking for a new home, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Einstein's people, they decided to investigate the knowledge of wormholes in this realm, see how much people know. And John realizes, it's like, you hold Moya's ass down a wormhole. Yep. They were expecting to find a Pathfinder ship. Yes. And that's the moment it's like, ah, it's finally come to roost. There we go. That's why I love about Farscape. It, it uses all the little bits of continuity. Mm-hmm. You know, it could they could easily have completely forgotten about the Pathfinder thing. And they could have even got away with having Moya sucked down a wormhole without that. But they're like, no, wait, the, you know, Niala infused it with the Pathfinder vessel signal. That's what he was looking for. And they find a Leviathan. He's very confused. Yeah, but... They do question the Leviathan, and they find out that everybody keeps mentioning John Crichton, who is apparently obsessed with wormholes. We actually see, like, a cut of Naranti and Pilot, and they're like, Mm -hmm. Crichton knows. He is obsessed with wormholes. I'm so glad the Pathfinder beacon finally, it's like, good, you fired that Chekhov's gun. I'm okay if we forget about that now. Yeah, I mean that that served its purpose mm-hmm. at this point. That was from back in season three. Like this was this is a long kind of thread to be following. It's like, oh hey, remember this thing? Yep. And so yeah, they were actually looking for Crichton, and they've now that he's found him, he says actually, you so you set them free to come find me. And Einstein says, your knowledge is quite extraordinary for one of your realm, and your many travels inside wormholes are very troubling. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. And he's I've, hes looked inside John's mind, and he knows that this knowledge has made him a target for more aggressive species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, peacekeepers, scarons, you know, the usual stuff that we've seen. Basically, John's a liability that must be dealt with. Yeah. And so he's like, well, you stay the hell away from me. And just he runs away and jumps in the water again. Yep. And he lands in a version of Moya that is apparently heavily under attack. John is in his outfit, so it's later than the beginning of the series. And uh, Chiana's there. Yeah, Chiana calls out, Crichton. And he's like, Pip, turns around. It is Chiana. Kind of. (laughs) It's Chiana as played by Claudia Black. Yep. (laughs) And John's like, huh? (laughs) I'm not entirely sure how much he notices it. No, he definitely does. He's very like, oh, this is weird. And you would have to be spectacularly unobservant to not notice that it's Claudia Black. But, to be fair, she does a fantastic Chiana. Yes, she really does. She kind of, she, so, she actually acts and talks like Mm -hmm. Chiana. You know, obviously studying Gigi Edgeley's performance and then recreating it herself. And she, like, moves in the same way, kind of, like, poses in the same way almost. And she uses a more American accent Mm -hmm. and has the same kind of vocal tics. It's really, yeah, it's really good. It took me a moment to realize that it was not Gigi Edgeley. It's like, the face isn't right, but everything else sounds correct. Well, she, Aaron is, or Claudia Black, I should say, is also a lot, uh, quite a bit taller than Gigi yes. Edgeley. Yes. So once she stands up, you're like, okay, right, okay, <laughs> I get it. This is definitely not Gigi Edgeley, but it took me a while to recognize Claudia Black in there, so Well, props. okay, John does actually think it's Aaron because he goes like, like Pip, and then he tilts his head and he says, Aaron? And it's like, wait, what? he does... Yeah, and so anyway, they're they're under attack in this odd version of Moya, and she's like, it's Freld, there's a great plan you came up with. (laughs) John actually is like, okay, if we're going to do this, like, going to play along. (laughs) Fine, okay. Are there any pods left? Module? Nope. They're all in the maintenance bay, and that place is a furnace. Okay. Spacesuits, any of that? This is the only tier that isn't 
filled with toxic dren. Yeah, and actually he also says, what about the others? And she says that they're dead. The Shiang's got them. Mm-hmm. I like I like that Shiang's only showed up in like a couple of episodes in like season one. And, and later, they brought, they brought an old guy back at the end of season one, actually. That was yeah, that's one, why I said it? season yeah. one. No, yeah, right. yeah. But the, the, they still keep referencing them and using them because I guess... Green. They're fire-breathing toads. Actually, we did have them in John Quixote. Yeah, but again, that's like a reference back to you know. That was a literal, the literal shot from one of the season yeah. one episodes. So anyway, <laughs> they're like, okay, we're under attack. We nothing we can do, and then there's an explosion. They get knocked to the ground, and of course, uh, Chiana, Aaron, Chiana, I guess, gets knocked on top of Crichton, and she's like, "We're gonna die." Look, I just wanna I just wanna do something fun. Just like no. Look, some, I wanna do something that makes me feel good. We're gonna die, so we might as well go out go out doing something I, I like. And I like that she says, Your plan failed. Now it's time for my plan and she moves her face downwards. And he's like, ah, ah and he no. like, grabs her by the head and like goes, No rolls over and like flashes back to the iceberg. Also actually quick no, I did skip over this earlier. When he wakes up on the iceberg John references a few things where he's like, okay, Kansas, not in Kansas anymore. Just waiting for the Titanic Mm because he's on an iceberg. And also, this had better not end up with me as an old man, which is a reference to 2001 in Space Odyssey. Oh, that also works. I thought he was referencing the time they got stuck in a time bubble. The one where he got really old. Uh, Maybe also that, but because he's just in his spacesuit, it's very much the end of 2001. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, he's back on the iceberg and he's like, wow, okay, great work, Einstein. Great illusion you give. Great illusion. Gotta hand it to you. Not an illusion. It was real. And he says, well, it felt real. No, it was real. And he points at John's hand. And he's got a handful of Chiana's hair that he ripped out as we see like a flash of him like throwing her off him by grabbing her by the head. And he's looking at it. It's like, what? John looks on and Einstein, he says, time, wormholes, the knowledge to unravel events, for that alone, I should kill you. So we cut to some interviews. And can I just say, this was nice because we get the whole cast of people I miss. Virginia yeah. Hay as San. We see Tammy McIntosh as Jewel. We have Lanny Tupu as Crace and Paul Goddard as Stark. And they're all like, talk again, talking very positively about John. Yeah. Zan says, you know, as a Pau, I'm generally the teacher, but I learned as much as I gave from Crichton and Jules like oh when he touched me there was like an electric caring oh I, I really miss him Craze talks about how we became a better captain and Stark's like I sensed a, a purity of spirit in mm-hmm. him and we cut back to John and Einstein on the iceberg and John's like okay I'm supposed to just take your word for it that that was real yeah like and he gestures around this could all be an illusion as far as I'm concerned yeah this could be as real as the iceberg and Einstein says that hair represents a possible outcome an unrealized reality yes <laughs> the title of the episode is the thing so again we get some more comments more interviews they shift yeah things change a little bit now so now the girlfriend says that look when when john came round i'd have to cover up all the mirrors so he'd spend some time looking at me and then there's another woman saying that um, her dad and john's mum were brother and sister and then we see the the football coach again. Yeah. Like, hey, he blew a key tackle. My three-year-old niece could have tripped the guy. And then we see the woman who is apparently John's cousin because she says, like, it hurt her dad because he loved family, but we were forbidden to f- hang out with John after he was 15. Yeah. And DK is like, you know why he's dead, don't you? Yeah, because he was careless. Pig-headed. And then we see a female scientist who says, like, John 
he made a couple of passes at me and then we see DK again saying like we weren't ready for space travel the female scientist says like I'd ever date a guy who only has one graduate degree <laughs> and then we go to see his girlfriend again saying like oh, he was a cheap date a lousy drunk and a redneck and then we see a reverend yeah <laughs> we've seen this reverend before in this episode but he says like when I say that he was blasphemous I'm not talking about religion I'm talking about his entire attitude towards life <laughs> and then we see the girlfriend who then finishes this section with you know and he was lousy in the sack and holds up her fingers making like a like a short yeah gesture, very you short know, gesture you know like small you know implying the, yeah she's you see she's implying he has a small penis that's, oh that's 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 what that means you see. oh thank you for explaining the joke does not make it funny <laughs> i don't think it's supposed to be particularly funny it's just like a complete shift in how these yeah. people are talking about him the exact opposite and we see john like hunkered down on the iceberg and he's been seeing and or hearing this he's like oh damn I, I always knew reverend miller didn't like me but man carolyn that's a bit of a shock <laughs> you'd think john was catching on what he's what einstein is trying to lay here it's like yeah. trying to explain to him he's, he's not quite picking up what he's putting down no yet. but einstein says like you you hung out in front of this wormhole for so long that i was able to find you yeah why does it fascinate you and john's like well something just struck me about it and Einstein's like, hmm, it's part of an extensive system, one of untold number that permeates space and time of your realm. And so then John turns to him and he's like, okay, tell me about unrealized realities. And we have another short trip, another yes. jump through a wormhole. It seems that John doesn't have to jump into the water, per se, to make these trips anymore. It looks like Einstein can actually just send him there. And so this time he wakes up in a cell on Moya. Yeah, and he's like, oh, this is a dream where I wake up and I'm naked in the cell. And he looks down. Okay, good. Still wearing my clothes. Okay, one out, one out of three. Turns over and he sees that Aaron is sat there in like full like peacekeeper pilot uniform. And he's like, okay, two out of three. Yeah, and he stands up. He walks towards her. She takes her helmet off. It is Aaron. I mean, half of me was expecting it to be Crace. Mm, I think, wasn't this a scene early on in Farscape as well, though? This is in the first episode. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. was just thinking that they might have started shifting things a little bit more than what happens. Here. Oh, I see, yeah. It's John who's screwing around with this bit. Yeah, because she takes the helmet off and he's like, Officer Aaron Sun, Paisar Regiment, Special Peacekeeper Commando, you know, recites her rank and number, basically. Mm -hmm. And he says, my name jose jimenez <laughs> he's like holds out his hand and she grabs it tries to throw him around but he anticipates this and spins with her and they stand across each other and then she like tries to hit him he blocks a couple times mm -hmm. and he's like pretty good right i learned from the best like he's clearly learned some peacekeeper fighting from aaron because he says from you yeah she actually kind of smiles a little bit at this of like hmm who are you what is your rank and why are you out of uniform and he doesn't answer He's, so he's just looking longingly into her eyes and so she throws him to the floor yeah just like she did in the first time the first time and she i was thinking as he threw the first i saw this episode the first time it's like yeah some things don't change john but what does happen is that like she throws him to the floor like straddles him puts her like legs around his neck and like grabs him by the throat and he's like oh baby you had me at hello she's like how do you know my name john god John, this you is, idiot. Like, you should know better, it, you idiot. And he says, what you should really be asking is how I know you You have a, a birthmark on the sweet spot of your hip. And she's like, uh, okay. And just snaps his neck, and then we flash back to the iceberg. <laughs> like, John, 
Yeah, come on, man. What were you expecting? This is Aaron before she met you. Also, it's a nice reminder of how far she's come. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but God, John, you should really learn to read some cues here. <laughs> you know, figure out that maybe you don't want to do that. He's not taking this seriously yet. To him, it's all an illusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he gets pulled back by Einstein. And uh, Einstein then says that every wormhole system has millions of exits, each to a distinct time and place. Travel from A to B. Now tra- attempt to travel back. You could arrive at point A immediately after you left, a cycle later, or a cycle earlier, or 10,000, then millions of permutations. And John realizes, like, okay, the secret is understanding time. It's more about accounting for it. Unskilled wanderings create unrealized realities. And I like that John asks, hang on, wait, you're trying to tell me that there are millions of millions of John Crichtons out there living all these pathetic lives? And Einstein says, no, just one of you with millions of possible permutations Mm. john's like well so what you showed me wasn't real einstein says that if i had not pulled you back wherever it was would have become your reality from then on the thing is that it's too dangerous well yeah because you can really screw with events if you go back in time you know through a wormhole you'll be you'll mess things up quite badly yeah because that's the problem right they don't care if he travels forward in time however many years It's going backwards they don't want. Yeah, Einstein says, Should a traveller appear earlier in the timeline of his own existence, he'd be as a pebble cast upon a pond, and he picks up some ice and, like, chucks it into the water, and goes, bloop, 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 bloop. And he's like, just a pebble, but the ripples outwards would be landing on unknown distant shores, causing a cascade of changes to the timeline. And John says, And your ancients gave me just enough knowledge to be dangerous. And Einstein says, yep, that's about right. And I like that John responds, then why am I not dead yet? Because Einstein actually said that, you know, without that knowledge that you have, the possibility of that happening, of you ending up in the wrong place or the wrong time, is really, really small. It's insignificant. And yeah, when Einstein is like, I trust the one who entrusted you. That's why you're not dead. (laughs) That's fair. But he needs to understand why Jack the Ancient... Why he bestowed that ability on John. And John's like, well, okay. Actually, no way. Einstein says, like, are you afraid of this knowledge? And John says, no. And he gets chucked into yet another unrealized reality. Mm-hmm. Oof. So this time, we're aboard a command carrier. John is in peacekeeper uniform. His red uniform. And he instinctively kind of puts his hands up, like crossing them, ready to be manacled. And Braca comes up behind him. And also, hey, Braca, what's up? Comes up behind him and he says, shall we go, sir? And I'm thinking like, oh, is this the Gamak base? No, it's it's very much, it's definitely the command carrier because it's... I hadn't noticed at that point because I thought, oh, this is the point of the Gamak base where he gets captured by Scorpius. He's going to try and dodge Scorpius now? No, because this time he, it seems like he is actually a peacekeeper captain or something mm-hmm. in this reality. And so Braca leads him into the room and uh, says that we've captured the Scarron spy. And it's Sokozu. She's, you know, got cuffs on. And John says, like, release her. But, sir, she... Are you questioning my orders, Braca? No, no, sir. And so they release the manacles. He walks up to her, turns her around, looks out of the window. Because this is the bit, the bit where there's the, the sort of tech area and there's a... There's a hangar bay they're mm-hmm. looking out into, which yeah. we've, seen, we've definitely seen that set before. Yeah. 
in the command carrier. And so she's looking out. He turns her to look out the window. And he says, stay calm and everything will be fine. Yeah, he keeps not understanding how this parallel universe stuff works. Because it's like, he's he's trying to play it like they're all friends and nothing has actually changed. It's like, no, you're a peacekeeper here, John. And she's the Scarron spy. Because she says, why do you think I'm going to give you any information you'd want? It's not going to happen. And John says, it's like, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm just trying to keep everybody alive. And she's like, oh, well, thank you. And, like, strokes her face. And then, like, scrapes down his face, grabs a gun and runs up the glass. Yeah, starts shooting Peacekeeper soldiers. Eventually even shooting Braca as he shields John. And there's quite a cool sequence where she runs across the, like, vertical glass... Uh, shooting at people and they shoot back at her like blowing up the glass just behind her as she runs across yeah she steps away from it it's pretty cool and so she she manages to shoot everybody apart from john john looks up at her he's he actually looks very defeated it's like what the hell and then she says weak species and she points her gun at him he quick draws i guess shoots her and she falls as the glass also breaks and then he smiles. He's like, whoa. He, no, he, he grins evilly. I guess. It's like, yeah, I suppose so. Because as he wakes up again, he's back on the iceberg. As he comes to there, it's like, that's not me. That wasn't me. And I says, that would be you, could be you, which is why we have to be so vigilant, why we have to suppress the knowledge of wormholes, and why you trouble me so much. Yeah. Well, get off me then. She kicks Einstein in the face, and Einstein just staggers back, looks at him, Flabbergasted, and John's like, I hadn't expected that to work. Sorry. <laughs> Picks him up and like, yeah, because Einstein says that actually his ability to maintain this environment is weakening. He's having to, you know, concentrate very hard on keeping this place here. As he mentions that earthquakes start at the iceberg. And John's like, okay, just take back the, what the ancients put in my head. Just do that. It's like, I can't. It would be too much work and it wouldn't be prudent. And he's like, what do you want with wormholes? I, I don't know. I, I want to get home. And Einstein says, the pl- your place of origin is where you can do the most damage. <laughs> and we see, like, people screaming, people getting shot. His dad with a weird black hairdo. Yeah, like flashes of earth, of... Uh, I think a few scenes we might have seen before from a human reaction, but then a lot of stuff we haven't seen. No, a lot of new stuff. Someone gets thrown through a brick wall. It's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And then we get some more interview flashes. Mm -hmm. And the girlfriend, again, says that he made it perfectly clear that his work was a greater priority than she was. And the reverend says he was womanizing. And, you know, the drink and all the drugs. (laughs) Yeah. And I like John's like, okay, okay, I get it. And the opioids, yes, I get it. I get the point. And Einstein's like, the point, yes, but the risk. Like, you'd end up with people you don't recognize. A world changed irrevocably by a pebble in the water. And John's like, okay, okay, then just throw me down the wormhole. I'll get out. Do what you did with Moya. Just put me back where you found me. It's like, I can't. You, you are the first to be brought here without propulsion. And that's the moment that I had to shout at Einstein. Then why the frail did you pull him here in the first place without a ship, you idiot? <laughs> well, yeah. He was like, oh, there's John Crichton. Pulls him in. It's like, wait, why isn't he in a ship? Crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we'll figure it out. I guess they didn't know that because they were expecting Moya to be a Pathfinder vessel. Yeah, they don't have complete knowledge of what's on the other side. They just know that John was there and like, all right, grab him. 
Wait, why isn't he? Why is the idiot not in the ship? Okay. Yeah, exactly. They're expecting him to be in a spaceship because you'd have to be a moron to hang outside a wormhole with no propulsion. John. John. (laughs) (sighs) So he says, like, well, send me back. I can't without propulsion. Well, what could we use as propulsion? The smoke you're blowing up my ass? I love that line. It's great. I'm also thinking... (laughs) Farts? <laughs> it technically could work, but... <laughs> How much propulsion do we need? Probably more than that will provide. Yeah. <laughs> so the iceberg shakes some more. Einstein's like, look, you possess the knowledge! And gets angry with him. That means you you are part of larger whole, and John stops him right there and says, No, my name is John Crichton, and I thought he was going to... I did as well. I thought he was going to go, I'm an astronaut, you know, yeah. <laughs> like from the opening. No, but he says, I'm John Crichton. I am not your pawn. And Einstein actually seems to... It seems like that's the reaction he wanted from Crichton, because suddenly he stops being so angry, and he's like, Well, then, let, let us proceed. And then the iceberg rumbles again, and Einstein, like, drops to the floor. There's So we have some more comments, more interviews... And this time, it gets even worse. Zan says that John is arrogant. Kreis says he's impulsive. And Zan, again, he's self-absorbed. Yeah, I can't believe I shared unity with that ooh man. Yeah. The thought still haunts me. Kreis says he's insane. Stark says the guy was an idiot. (laughs) I like that Kreis is the one that says he was insane. Yeah. (laughs) Jewel says, like, okay, no, don't go any further. That, that That is John Crichton. And then Stark again is like, I'm, you know, frankly, I'm glad he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> and we cut back again to John on the iceberg. And he asks Einstein, like, why don't you just grab anyone who goes down a wormhole? Yeah, let's just grab that person. Put me on that shit. Let's go. But Einstein says, no, the effort to grab you was massive. We had to put a lot of effort into that. Because we, talking about his species, can no more survive in your realm than you can in ours. That's why the ancients were important to us, because we modified them to live there. And John says, well, just make more. And Einstein says, we are. It's taking time, though. The process is in hand. He also asks, are you truly committed to helping prevent aggressive species from getting this te- this knowledge? As a career? No. Okay, we don't have much time, but there's much more you need exposure to. And the, the iceberg is shaking again. And John's like, what's, what's going on? And Einstein basically says, look, it takes a lot of effort to keep this realm going. And I need you to be prepared when it breaks down, because otherwise you die. Yeah, and if you've learned enough to survive, you'll be reinserted into the wormhole. Pay attention. As he's, you know, trying to explain to him how to do this, the pulse blast pops up again, because it actually, like, it vanished when he was done talking. And it's up again, and it's like, you have to get ready for, for this. I get the feeling that Einstein actually cares at this point. He doesn't want to kill John anymore. Hmm. He then starts explaining to John... Okay, how you're supposed to do this. And we also, this is kind of cut with the interviewees also explaining this part as if it's Einstein basically talking through all of them. Yeah, because they join in on the explanation, just saying the exact same thing Einstein is saying. And uh, how does the text go again? Okay, I've got, it, I've got it written down here. So it's like every point of entry, a wormhole branches into multiple parts. The subdivision continues until at length you get deposited back into space-time. The journey can be random or with purpose, but destination is the key. And that gets repeated a bunch. Destination Mm -hmm. is the key. Every portal has a distinct signature, and the only destinations you can realize by design are those of which you have foreknowledge, so somewhere you've been before or where you want to go. And the more you travel, the more signatures you catalogue, 
And so the ancients gave him the ability, gave John the ability to recognize those differences. And so since every destination is surrounded by similar unrealized realities, the closer you travel, the more you must maintain absolute engrossment, like the more you must focus on where you're going. Yeah, because the closer you get, the harder the differences become to notice. And you need to stay, as you get closer to the end point, you need to be more focused because you need to start looking at very subtle differences. Yeah, and... You must never return to a familiar place prior to the last time you left. Yeah. Like, don't come out of the wormhole before you went into it, basically. Yeah. Don't cause time paradoxes, okay? That tends to go badly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so Einstein then says that John's next journey may lead to a permanent, a permanent unrealized reality. Choose wisely. And as he says that, we get a flash of someone's like, hot dog? (laughs) What? What? A burning, crisp, like, charcoal hot dog. And Einstein then tells John, like, hurry, you must learn, see, and feel. And we get dropped into another unrealized reality. Okay. This is, yeah, this is an odd one, interesting This one, one terrified me, because this is the point where it dawned on me how dangerous this knowledge is. Yeah, because what we see is we're back on Earth, we're actually at a lake, we're on a pier that is actually somewhat familiar. It is a very important lake and a very important pier. And it's one we've only ever actually seen at night time before, yeah. in John's head or in his memories it's a pier where he and his dad would go fishing it's where he and harvey talked for the very first time yeah 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 yeah. so john's there and we see out in the distance on the end of the pier there is someone who is john's father yes judging by the voice it's clearly john's father yeah american accent and it's like hey come over here son have a hot dog brought the mustard he's like yeah got it we don't actually see john's face we see him from behind he walks Mm -hmm. forward because when we go to a close-up of john's dad he's not played by a kent mccord who normally plays jack Crichton. he's played by wayne pigram well in kind of like in light light actually yes light Scarron, Scorpius-type makeup. Wayne Pigram is, by the way, the actor that plays Scorpius. Yes, of course. And he's wearing sunglasses, and he's holding up this burning hot dog again. And we see in the reflection of his sunglasses, John's face. And John has the same kind of makeup on. Like, it looks like he's some part Scarron. At this point, my thought was like, oh shit, is it Harvey? And there aren't really any indications that it is, because he behaves like John's dad. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think it is. I think No, it it's... isn't. I don't think it is either. But that was my response at the time. Yeah. And I, I listened back to this and it is actually, it is Wayne Pigram doing the voice as well. It's not dubbed over. Again, very well accent. Very well imitation of the actor. There are a few moments where you can hear Scorpius's diction mm. kind of come through a little bit. Like very, very small moments. And I feel like that might be by design because... Mm. I wouldn't be surprised. And he says that, okay, so we should have a talk. Talk we should have had years ago. <laughs> John's like, I don't think I'm still a virgin, Dad. <laughs> no, look, John, we can't fight this. And he holds up his arm, which, which has, like, a manacle on it. Yeah, a cuff of some kind. It's like, you remember what we were like centuries before the Scarons conquered us? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, weak genes, disease, death. I think our health and longevity outweigh some personal freedoms, don't you? And John's like... No, I don't. He says, well, you never change, do you? But you're young. You know, when I was young, I dreamt of flying in space, you know, like you, but it wasn't meant to be, and it won't be for you either. And John says, I can't accept this, and gets pulled back to the iceberg by Einstein. One, that's freaking terrifying Yeah, that the Scarons would have conquered Earth long before John was even born. Two, 
To tell you something about how my brain works and movement, the fake fingernail on Wayne Pegram's right index finger was letting loose. You could see his real. Yeah, I noticed that. You you could see that he had like black finger. It was yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit too prominent. Yeah, the wind the wind caught under it and was slowly being peeled off. <laughs> yeah, because we see a close-up of John with, like, the hand on his shoulder. Yeah, and the yeah. focus was completely on John's face, and that was the whole point, and that's why I was <laughs> looking. Why was I looking at that? Sometimes you do notice these things, but, you know, it's fine. And, yeah, so, yeah, trying to work out how that reality happened, I don't know, John accidentally opens a wormhole from Scarron Space to Earth several hundred years in the past or something yeah maybe yeah so he gets pulled back to the iceberg uh he says to einstein's like okay don't make me go again just put me back where you found me yeah because john is getting that had the same reaction on john as it had on me he's getting afraid okay no i just want to go back i just want to go back and the iceberg is kind of just deteriorating and einstein explains and again again through the interviewees that you can do it yourself, John. You have enough knowledge to do that. And he's like, I don't understand any of this, John says. <laughs> and then Einstein says, and this time through the teacher, it's not a science, it's an art. And John says, you filled me on art. And on English too, by the way. I still don't know the proper use of a comma. <laughs> it's like, John, you didn't forget the A. You wrote a report on Mark Twin. <laughs> Wait, you can hear me? And they're like, yes. He can actually talk to those people it's einstein's you know it's the extra dimensional ancients whatever you want to call them it's it makes me wonder if it's the other ancients using this as a means of communicating with john i I was also thinking that it could be them it could be einstein the difference isn't that important to be honest do you know what it actually reminded me of if anyone has seen deep space nine star trek deep space nine it's how the prophets talk to everybody they're the same kind of extra dimensional actually no wait they're extra dimensional wormhole aliens (laughs) They're the same thing. Wait a minute. Wait a frickin' minute. They make constructs of other people that they know to talk through. That's the same thing. Wow. I only just realized because they're wormhole aliens as well. Apparently that's how wormhole aliens work. I don't know. I guess so. (laughs) But they also tell him that as long as he focuses on where he entered, he should come out on the other side, on the right point, on the right time. And John says, okay, what if I get back tomorrow before I left? And... This time, speaking through DK, it says that if you get back before you left, the pebble that drops will be very close to you. Ignore the ripples. Fix the first thing that goes ape. Yeah, because the elasticity of time allows that unrealized realities can be ignored or be turned back to their original point. You can basically course correct and it will try and snap back into place. And John realizes something, because this yeah. is literally what Harvey told him during different destinations. Yeah, because remember that when we were back in time and they were trying to you know, set right what went wrong, that whole mm-hmm. thing? John realizes this and he says, wait a minute, Harvey knew, Harvey knew, Scorpius knows, what the hell? Oh crap, I realized, I just now realized what John means with they knew. Scorpius knows the other trick you can do with wormholes. Which is time travel. Yeah, he knows about this somehow. Oh, that's a big deal, oh. isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I was just about to say, for one, John probably misses Harvey now more than ever because he would have been useful in this case. Yeah, it would have come in handy, maybe. <laughs> but, oh, now I see why Scorpius was so insistent on getting this knowledge. Yeah, he already has part of the picture and he doesn't have the rest of it, but he knows 
some maybe some more technical specifics than John does. Like you can mess with time. So we then again, John flashes into another. He gets flung into the wormhole net nexus again, mm-hmm. and there are some more comments from the uh, interviewees. And this time, it's again, it's it's all bad. <laughs> Jewel says he's insolent, selfish. DK says he's competitive. Girlfriend says he's obsessive. Cousin says he's obnoxious. Zan says he's unbearable. <laughs> I mean, he is those things once in a while. So now we go. We he's flashed into another unrealized reality, but it's it's actually the same one he was in earlier with Chiana being played by Claudia Black. So that version of or, well, Moya. an exit that is close to it because yes, Claudia right. Black yeah, is yeah. playing Chiana again, and this time it's like okay, she's with Crichton, and she says we we should run, and we see that okay, we get we get to command actually on this mm-hmm, version of Moya, mm-hmm. and we hear a voice. Come over here and help me with this. It's Dargo, played by Rigel. So he has he has like Dargo's hair and like tentacles, but on the Rigel puppet, and he has like the same like a, a mini version of Dargo's costume. Even better, he has a mini version of his quilter blade. It's a tiny little, like very obviously plastic sword. Yeah. It's like okay. And then we also see that they're under attack and mm-hmm. it's like, what did you find? Chiana throws some pulse rifles, like barely charged. And <laughs> We meet some of the other people on the bridge. Such as Stark, played by Sokozu. Yeah. <laughs> Half metal face. Tuft of red hair. Wearing brown sort of rags. Mm-hmm. And she starts rambling like, my love, your love, gone. Suicide. And we see out the front view screen mm-hmm. that there's a peacekeeper ship and they're being attacked. And yeah, and a shuttle is traveling in that direction. And apparently Zan and Aaron are on board there. And Dargo, as played by Wright, is like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Plot a course. And then we see Naranti comes in. Now Naranti is being played by Gigi Edgley. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> in like the sort of darker grey blue makeup with like the hair and the mm-hmm. third eye. And it's like, you know, oh, have some food. Eat, you know, I should eat something before before we all die. Yeah, it's like, I could negotiate with them. And we have, through this all, we have flashes to other moments in the show where these characters were established. Like, when Naranti, heavy air quotes, says, oh, I could negotiate that with them. We go back to the lava place where she says, oh, I can negotiate with them. And again, we get some flashes of the interviews again. Mm-hmm. And this time it's like Zan, Stark, DK, the girlfriend, the cousin, the scientist, Jewel, sports teacher, all of them have no idea who Crichton is. Like, do you have glasses? I could look him up. Are you sure I know him? Maybe he went to state? It's like, either these people, he never met these people in his life, or he never was. Yeah, exactly. And so we then cut into cut again with Einstein explaining things to him, repeating the, you know, the destination is the key, focus, mm-hmm. space-time signature. And again, thing. all the interviewees joining in on that speech. And so then back on board this unrealized Moya, Dargo is <laughs> calling pilots like, give us Starburst now. <laughs> this version of pilot is really, like, not having any crap. No. I was wondering, is this still voiced by Lani Tupu? Yeah, I think it is. It's okay. just like, he, he's just like really angry with all of them and is mouthing off to, to them. Like, the complete opposite of our normal pilot. This is what pilot would like to do, I think. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. And he's like, listen, you farbot, none of your plans are working. Like, it's ruined. Why is nothing working? Because of all the frelling modifications we had to make for his stupid wormhole plans talking about john of course yeah and at this point 
Jewel walks in. <laughs> heavy air quotes because Jewel <laughs> is played by Anthony Simcoe. Yes, it's great. It's this is when you realize like no, Dargo's not actually wearing like lifts. Anthony Simcoe's just really tall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it takes a bit to recognize him because he's, in comparison to when he plays Dargo, he's hardly got any makeup on. Mm-hmm. He's got, like, the red wig, so he's got Jules' hair, and he's wearing Jules' costume. I think, I did they leave the nose or a bit of the ridges on just so we could recognize him? They left the nose and the mus- mustache on. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's him in a Jules costume, like, looking around. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? And, like, <laughs> like that. So apparently he, they are actually asking, like, who do you want to play in oh. this odd version of Moya? And Anthony Simcoe is like, I want to play Jewel. And apparently, so this is from the cool fast get facts from the Starburst edition DVD. Mm-hmm. He says he chose Jewel so that he could have breasts. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to do that. That sounds fun. And he's <laughs> like, all right, Anthony, you do you, man. You do you. Like, we see that Anthony Simcoe is up for doing basically anything, which is great. Like, it's fantastic. I I could see Anthony Simcoe being like, well, am I ever going to get this chance again? Probably not. exactly. Probably not in this series, but, I mean, who the hell knows? I just just love that, like, he's clearly, like, we've seen other things where he's done, like, really crazy stuff as Dargo. Oh, like, going back to where he's, Mm -hmm. like, Gary Regal, and then there's the stuff where he starts coming on to john and plays like the cartoon version of like he's they're all up for pretty much anything in this series anthony simcoe has fantastic comedy chops he really does which is great because he's really actually really funny as jewel in this Mm -hmm. because he's like playing up her like whininess and like freaking out and i think at some point something explodes she's like i have a cut I'm bleeding! Look at me, I'm bleeding! And it's like a tiny paper cut. We don't yes. even see the cut. That's how non-significant it is, because there's no blood gushing out of it or anything. And so all this is happening. John's recalling, like, what he was told about, you know, wormholes, and like, okay. Then Jewel asks, like, why aren't you helping us? Why won't you help us? And he says, because, like everyone else here, I don't want to be here. And then they get angry at him. Yeah, and Chiana, again, played by uh, Aaron... Claudia Black says, like, okay, fix it. Fix what you've done. Naranti comes in and says, you know, you're destructive. Here, look, have something. This will help you forget you're betrothed. So big, so beautiful, so blue. And he's like, wait, blue? What? Yeah, we see a scene where he and Zan kiss from a while back. It's like, and at that point, Stark goes like, Aaron, Aaron, come back, my love. <laughs> Stark still being played by Rayleigh Hill. Who plays Sokozu, of course. Right, sorry, I right, should mention yeah. that. <laughs> That's the thing, we haven't mentioned that. Anyway, <laughs> so they're all arguing. And Dargo, as played by Rigel, flicks his tongue at Chiana, who then, like, convulses and falls to the floor. Because she was, like, yelling and, like, mm-hmm. stay at your post. And, like, no, I won't stay at my post. And, like, Whoosh. John's like, well, that helped. As he tries to do something at the panel and mumbling to himself, Einstein, any time now. Yeah, any time you want to pull me back. That'd be great. And so this is when Jewel, like, looks down at Chiana and is like, oh, she's having a fit. Ah. And then he's like, oh, I'm bleeding. Ah. <laughs> It's like, I don't want to go like that. And I think John just knocks her out. <laughs> oh, also, we also have, sorry, we also have a version of Rigel in this Yes, scene. as played by Melissa Jaffer. Who plays Narendi. <laughs> and yes. done up, like, in, like, basically human-sized uh, Hynerian makeup with big eyebrows and a flowing red robe. It's like, just great. She plays him great. And it's like, no, Chris, we had a deal, she says. And it's like... Dargo flicks around and is like, what, you sold us out? He's like, you bet your butt I did. It's every Hynerian for himself. (laughs) 
And so, yeah, the peacekeepers board Moya, and Krace is leading them, leads them through Moya. And, like, the cannons are firing at the ship still. And John's like, any moment now, come on. So John gets Stark to send Chiana to a better place using the mask to, you know, cross her over. And Stark at some point is like, look, shoot me. Because his corporeal form is just an illusion. I can I can reform. I'll come back. I'll come back. Which we've seen before. More continuity. Mm-hmm. And he's like points the gun at Stark, who like is tilting her head back, repeating something. I wrote. She's repeating Katrazzi for some reason. We don't know what that is or what that huh. means or if if maybe, that even means anything. Maybe that'll become relevant later. I don't know. They they pay a little bit of attention to it. So who knows? And so yeah, he shoots Stark. And then the peacekeepers come in. Krace comes onto the bridge, onto command. And Jewel gets shot in the back by the peacekeepers. And then Rigel comes into the front. And it's like, I am Dominar the 16th and we had a... D-. And then, boom, gets shot. Mm-hmm. I think everybody but John is shot at this point. I actually, no, I don't think so. I think just those two. And John and Krace are then pointing guns at each other. And then we have flashes of the bits where Einstein told him that your next trip could lead to a permanent unrealized reality yeah and john is also having flashes of the time that crace all the things that he'd done to crace and how angry crace is at him it's like a permanent permanent unrealized reality gets repeated mm-hmm. so it looks like john may end up being stuck here and john just lowers his pistol crace walks up to him puts his pistol against john's forehead and then lowers it gives him a hug and says thank you comrade well done and then he just at that moment he gets pulled back to the iceberg by einstein yeah who's like lying down like breathing heavily it's like i could almost not do that the iceberg has been shrinking this whole time by the way yeah it's, right it's been yeah, broken yeah. in pieces at some point they were sitting on two different different pieces it's now just large enough for them to sit against a cropped up piece of ice and says next time it'll be your reality forever basically this is your last chance the next time through we Cut to commercials briefly, we come back. Uh, Yeah, and John says, look, just leave me. Just leave me here. To die? John's kind of come around to the idea that it's too risky. Mm Mm-hmm. He's like, do you want to die? No, but I like my childhood and I don't want to bust any eggs. He's really afraid. Yeah, and Einstein asks him, like, are you suddenly becoming afraid? And he takes a moment and says, yes, I am afraid. Yeah, of the damage he could do. Then Einstein responds, fear. Yes, fear is the correct answer. I think the point is... The thing that Einstein's been trying to do this whole time is make John realize you're holding an incredibly dangerous power. Even more dangerous than you thought. You have to take this seriously. You have to be afraid of any damage you can do and try to fix it. And so we have another cut and John is suited up again. He's got his helmet back on. Yeah. And he's like breathing. He's like... Okay, not sure if I can do this. And okay. he says, like, no, no. He puts the helmet back up. No, not going to do it. Just shoot me. Just, it's too risky. I can't, I can't, I can't risk it. And then Einstein says, no, you can't, you can do this. Just focus, concentrate. And what he also says, like, are you prepared to stop the people that are going to, like, invade our reality, our version? Like, if other people might figure this shit out, we need somebody on the other end trying to stop them. Yeah, that's why he needs John alive. Yeah. Because they don't have the Ancients, they don't have a new batch of Ancients yet. And John says, like, okay, fine, and he closes the lid, but I am not Kirk, I am not Spock, I am no Luke. Not Flash, or Arthur Frelling Dent, he even says. Oh, that was, I was thinking, no, Ar- Arthur doesn't have a Frelling, oh, Dent, the Frelling was between Arthur and Dent, that's why I didn't <laughs> Arthur recognize Arthur Frelling it. Dent. I was thinking that was that Dent, but yeah. Yeah, 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 and he says, 
No, I am Dorothy Gale from Kansas. Yeah. You better bring ancients to back me up. <laughs> and one day, when this is all over, you're going to take this crap out of my head. And Einstein says, yes, if you're still alive by that point. And says, do you know what it is? And John says, time. Because at that point, he's actually... St- yeah, this is great. Because he's standing on the lake. The iceberg is gone. Yeah, like, the iceberg is gone, and it's like a quite a long shot of, like, the lake is about halfway up the screen and you just see him like he's kind of small like in the middle of it Mm -hmm. and i love that because the way this is cut is that einstein asks do you know what it is and we and we he says this while we cut onto john's eyes yeah close and then we cut to the lake and the iceberg is gone yeah and he's standing there and then he says time yeah like that 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 cut with him standing on the lake i thought that was very much reminiscent of 2001 space odyssey very cool and we then see a shot from above of John standing on the lake, and then the wormhole appears underneath him. John's closing his eyes, focusing, and then he drops down into the wormhole and goes like whizzing through it. And that's the thing, because he knows how to navigate wormholes, he can drop at a space time coordinate of his choosing. Yeah. So that's why he doesn't need propulsion. No, as long as he focuses, he can get back where he came from. So he's, you know, zooming through there and he gets deposited. Back floating into space. Yep, floating in space. Yes! He's like, all right, I'm back. I did it. We pan around. We see a, a moon. It's a very familiar moon. Yeah, and he turns around. And we see blue water, green land. He looks down. It's recognizable. He's over earth and my response is oh shit oh no 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 but he looks and there's like a big the music swells as he realizes he's over earth he's been trying to calm dargo and pilot nobody's responded no and he looks down and he has a big smile on his face because he's home then he kind of realizes that he's alone in a spacesuit in orbit and he's like whoops and that's where that's where it ends he says to be continued nice one john <sighs> the important question is when is he yeah we've we established where he is we've established he can move in time as well so when is he and importantly what universe is this is this the one where everybody's just caring i hope not and he's like oh god where am i and that yeah that's the end of the episode so this is technically there, there isn't like an arc name for this set of episodes but this is technically part one of three. Yeah. So you can see why, because it's like to be continued. He's floating in space at the end. We forgot one thing at the end, because at this point, Dargo's face comes up from the bottom of the screen and says, drugs are bad. <laughs> because I would like, that's not what happens, but I would like to argue this would not have happened if John had not been taking those drugs, because he could have focused on Aaron. You're probably right. Actually, that's a really good point now that I think about it. Yeah. Because they stop him from, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He could have easily zoomed in on that point. That would have allowed him to have way more focus on coming out on the right end. Because, and there's a few tiny little hints at this in the episode, actually. Because at some point, they say, well, he needs to exit where he entered. Oh, did he ever exit where he entered? Yes. (laughs) the very first entrance. Whoops. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, that was Unrealized Reality. That, uh, this was an interesting episode. This was... We got a lot of exposition in this episode. Oh, about this is exposition the episode. I'm like, it gets a few points across. It does relatively little overall for the characters of the arc, but there are some cool little things in there. 
it's what it's doing is it's setting the table it's establishing what the stakes are mm-hmm. for john's wormhole knowledge you know it's it's raising the stakes beyond you're going to be captured by peacekeepers or scarons oh god it's like the stakes of the wormhole knowledge weren't high enough already. well yeah exactly but th- he can destroy planets with this knowledge we know yeah. this <laughs> but he can undo time as well as as we've seen that that's pretty much it right there's nothing he can't do at this point there's it's limitless that's why they were so insistent on protecting it so yeah you know what's interesting is that einstein does do things very technically and repeatedly like saying very technical things Mm -hmm. and is a lot of exposition but i think because we have the jumps to the unrealized realities those are it works they they end up end up being important for establishing how dangerous this is yeah this so you know there's a good rule of storytelling which is show don't tell yeah this actually this episode does both this is a show and tell Mm. episode because they tell him a lot but they also show the effects of that which i appreciate you Mm -hmm. know it's it it makes sense and i don't know i quite like the i like the whole sequence at the beginning where where he meets einstein time bandits time (laughs) do you notice the fact that how he says time is meaningless and time is everything yeah that time is meaningless in his discussion because it starts with the same word that it ends with. It's loops. I don't know if the the reason he chose time to say is the first thing to John is based on the fact that John it's the last thing John says as he leaves. Because cause, what is causality anyway? <laughs> I'm probably reading too much into it and they just wanted to end where they started. But Yeah. It's a it's a nice little loop, yeah. Also, Hats, what's the next episode named? The next episode is called Kansas. The first word he said when he woke up on the iceberg. Well, it's a whole thing. You know, it's he's he's Dorothy Gale from Kansas, Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. The whole thing of, I'm not in Kansas anymore. You know, getting sucked up by a tornado or a wormhole. He's, he's referenced that a bunch of times in in terms of his situation. Yeah. I like that he, in this episode, he's referencing forward to the next episode. In yeah, a way. kind of. Yeah, I'm probably reading things in here that aren't that aren't intentionally there, but I like that there's it. It almost feels like causality is a little bit screwed up in this episode, just in the tiny details. So, all right, let's put a rating on this episode. What do you reckon? First of all, I want to hear what you think first. I like the silliness with everybody playing different characters because that was that's fun, just yeah. fun. I like how it shows how dangerous this knowledge is. I don't know if they had to raise the stakes on this, because I think destroying planets was pretty powerful to begin with. But True, fair enough. I, I like adding this to the pile. I'm glad they actually placed the Pathfinder mm-hmm. uh, yep, beacon. Yep, that's all good. But as for doing anything for the story, because all these unrealized realities technically never happened. The, the bit where it's like nothing in this episode actually happened is a little bit a thing in this one. Not a lot, but a little bit. And... There is a lot of tell, so I'm going to put it at a three. Okay, so I feel like I'm actually going to rate this one higher. I'm going to go for a four, because I agree that there is a lot of telling. There is a lot of exposition. Mm -hmm. But it didn't bother me so much, because I feel like it was interspersed with enough showing that it Mm -hmm. actually worked. I also, I'll, I'll be honest, I can't exactly place why I'm doing a three, but I remember that when I was thinking about watching it for the second time, I was actually reluctant for the first time. Now, this might this might be fatigue over the fact that we're in <laughs> halfway through season four. <laughs> I've definitely felt um, that a few times where you're like, okay, yes. 
I've got to got to do this, but so you know, that might be a factor. I will admit that. I think these kind of exposition heavy episodes, it can get like, oh god, I have to listen to all of that again. Yeah, that's probably it. So I think that that's a fair thing. Yeah. So I will actually take that into consideration. Fair enough. It's fine. It's I think it's a good episode. I actually like like I said, the the best parts are obviously when we have the mixed up version of Moya, yes, which is kind of really that is crazy. Great. And really fun to see all of that. That must have been fun to do as well. Oh yeah, definitely. You could kind of tell they were having fun with it. Mm-hmm. I know. I like that we're getting back to wormholes. It's bringing back everything, like we mentioned, the Pathfinder stuff. I know. I, I will say four out of five from me. Three out of five from from you. Yep. That's fine. That's good. Yeah, it's still a good episode. It's still a good episode. Yeah. So. All right, next week, Kansas, part two. Well, it's only Kansas on the DVD, but yes, part two of it's this. It's part two of this three-part like arc, I suppose. Yes. Hmm. Uh, too much spoilers, I guess. How much to give away? Well, he's back on Earth. Yeah, he's back on Earth. But when? How? What now? And where is everybody else? Where's Moya? Like, how's he going to get out of this, being stuck in uh, in orbit? I mean, if he could get his hands on a module. Where's he going to get that from? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right, I think we'll just say, uh, no, do I want to? Mm, don't. Don't. No, if okay, you're doubting, okay. just don't. I was, was going to say, though. This one should be quite entertaining. I'll say that much. All right. Sounds good to me. So, yeah, that's next week uh, is Kansas. And, yeah, we will be back then talking about that. But that's it from us this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. This was a very exposition-heavy episode. Yep. So hopefully we managed to get through it without too much issue. And we'll be back next time for Kansas, as we said. Until then, you can find us on the web on Twitter at Hats and Red. Ed Red Nightmare 7. Don't forget, go to cantwahats.co.uk for previous episodes, links to RSS feeds, iTunes, and the Patreon, which supports this podcast, patreon.com slash cantwahats. Until next time, have a good week. We will see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. That's what's going on. Oh god, this realm is starting to fall apart. I can't maintain control much longer. What do you mean you can't- what? What are you talking about? Yeah, so, um, I'm actually an extra-dimensional alien and I've been holding this podcast in place for the past four seasons of the show now. what? What? Does that mean I'm not real? That I'm fake? That- Uh, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Am I secretly your cat? Uh, maybe. No comment. That explains why I like milk so much.